Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Drop the Disc podcast recorded live at the River Room at the Clubhouse downtown at the Cyber Center. Uh, This episode is uh, an extension of a series that we started last June with our panel uh, examining the BLM movement and the relationship between protesters and police among a lot of other things. Uh, This is a continuation of that sponsored and presented by Bank of America, where we are examining uh, certain issues in equality, today economic equality. We do not plan on this being the last of this series. If you have any recommendations or ideas for a future panel or a future conversation, please let us know at dropthediscpod at gmail.com. We do want to thank everybody that's going to be here today. Uh, What you are going to hear is going to be the raw audio from the recorded panel. Our goal with this whole thing was to bring three people in the community with different backgrounds, different expertise, and different abilities uh, to make a difference, to come and talk about what they see, how can we make economic equality better for everybody. We have Mayor Hardy Davis, we have Executive Director of the Clubhouse, Eric Parker, and we have Chief Diversity Officer, Dr. Tiffany Townsend from Augusta University. We hope you enjoy, and we genuinely look forward to any feedback. We first want to thank everybody here. We are going to be examining equality. We're super excited about this, uh, and we want to thank you all for taking your time out of today to uh, help us execute this effectively. Um, I I do need to make a brief mention of our uh, presenting sponsor, Bank of America. Um, They have sponsored this panel, and uh, we are truly grateful for that. We also want to Shout out Fat Man's Havard Usri for uh, providing food for uh, our panelists and people working. Uh, we want to also thank the clubhouse and Eric Parker uh, for allowing us to use this space here in the river room. Um, we have a beautiful view over looking at the river and a uh, beautiful space to use. We also want to thank Nancy Powell of Powell & Associates. Um, she is our presenting sponsor for Drop the Disc podcast. And uh, the hosts of the show, Chris, myself, and David Bash, will be our moderators for this uh, panel. So uh, I'm ready. Are you ready, David? Let's do this. All right. So to kick us off today, the first thing we really want to do is introduce kind of what we're doing here today. We want to introduce who's here with us today. So we're doing this um, as an extension of the Drop the Disc podcast in Augusta, Georgia. A lot of the things we talk about today are going to be Augusta-based, but that doesn't mean that there aren't lessons and principles here that we can apply wherever we go. Um, Today we're going to be talking about economic equality specifically, and we have three experts here that we're really excited to talk to. Um, Before we do introduce them, I do want to wish uh, the best to Dr. Todd Powell-Williams, who couldn't be here today. I hope he's safe, Um, and we definitely miss you. Uh, to introduce our panelists, uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to introduce you guys. I'm going to say what you do, and then I'm going to give each of you an opportunity to kind of elevator pitch yourself, you know, 30 seconds to a minute, tell the people at home, you know, who you are, what you do, why this is important to you. Um, first off, we have uh, Dr. Tiffany Townsend from Augusta University. She's the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer. 
Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I, I first want to show my appreciation for being invited to this conversation. It's so important. As you mentioned, I'm the Chief Diversity Officer at Augusta University, and I recently joined the Augusta community after having been in DC as the um, Senior Director of the Office of Ethnic Minority Affairs with the American Psychological Association. And as I always like to say, I started my career, my life before this, I was um, a faculty member at Georgetown and at Penn State prior to that. So this issue for me, is, I'm speaking from the space of um, education. And so we'll kind of talk about that when I'm talking about workforce development, because it's so important for us to kind of understand how education has played a role and upward mobility for many communities. And so um, I'm excited to have that conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Tiffany Townsend. Um, coming up next in the middle here, we have Eric Parker. Eric is uh, a man who wears many hats. Um, he is the director at the clubhouse where we are today, a staunch advocate for entrepreneurialism. Eric, thank you for being here. Um, you know, introduce us to yourself. Thank you, David and Chris. I appreciate you organizing this event today. Um, for people who know me, this will be a little bit of a, a broken record story, but I am someone who's from Augusta, and I think like a lot of people, um, and even why I think one of the reasons you created your podcast, Drop the Diss, is this notion of feeling like when I turned 18 that I had to leave town to find opportunity. And so I moved out to Silicon Valley where I started an architecture firm, but ultimately I came back to this town, Augusta, and and the truth is, I love my city, but I couldn't figure out how an architect could make a difference in, in a community if we didn't have a stronger culture of entrepreneurship. And so really devoted the last uh, 10 years of my life towards cultivating uh, a better support system for entrepreneurs so that they can lead the revitalization of our community and help impact the cycles of generational poverty that we have here. Eric Parker, thank you so much for being here. If you guys want to learn more about Eric Parker, we have an uh, Drop the Diss episode with him from a few months ago. Definitely worth listening to. Um, and finally, of course, we have Mayor Hardy Davis on my left, on you guys' right. Uh, mayor Hardy Davis is the mayor of Augusta, former uh, electrical engineer, is that right? Former electrical engineer. Uh, mayor Davis, we're really excited to have you here today with us. Thank you so much, David and Chris, uh, for uh, initiating this conversation. Uh, I think it's extremely important as uh, my co-panelists have already indicated. Uh, I might also add that once an electrical engineer, always an electrical engineer, uh, you are inevitably trying to solve problems in many different arenas. Uh, and the conversation today certainly has its uh, set of problem statements that uh, we will lean into hopefully and have some very thoughtful conversation. Uh, I've been fortunate to be the mayor of this great city, Augusta's 84th mayor uh, since 2015. And as we are uh, in the fourth quarter of this game, uh, there's nothing lame about this duck at all. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do and conversations like this will help us with those uh, efforts. Uh, when you think about the challenges of uh, the economy and its disproportionate effects across communities of color and uh, I look forward to us again leaning in, having some very thoughtful discussion. Mayor Davis, thank you for being here. Um, if you guys would like to learn more about Mayor Davis, there's also a Drop the Diss episode about him 
uh, definitely worth checking out. And Dr. Townsend, we'll have to have you in soon because uh, you need to join this club. Um, so thank you guys all for being here. If you guys want to learn more about uh, Mayor Davis, check out Augusta.gov. Check him out on Twitter at Hardy Davis. Check him out on Facebook and Instagram, Hardy Davis Jr. If you guys want to learn more about Eric, uh, The Clubhouse uh, is the website, theclubhow.se. So type in The Clubhouse, put the period before the S-E. No, we don't understand it either. It's a great website, though. Uh, and Dr. Townsend, check her out, uh, augusta.edu uh, slash diversity. So moving right along. The reason that we're here today to talk about equality uh, is one, because this is such a big issue in, in our country and in our community. Um, each panelist that we have today, as we mentioned, is a subject matter expert here. We're gonna kind of take you guys through uh, the topics we'll be covering today, and then we're gonna jump right in. Um, the first topic is we're gonna have each of you kind of talk about your experiences dealing with equality and what you do professionally and what does it look like in our community and our country. Uh, then we're gonna focus on Dr. Townsend. We're gonna have a conversation about uh, career development training programs and how those factor in. We're gonna move to uh, Mr. Parker, Eric, after that. We're gonna talk about where entrepreneurialism plays into that. And then Mr. Davis, as our uh, sitting politician, we're gonna talk about how we can energize the people of our community to make the changes that we're talking about today. So with that being said, we're gonna jump right into this first prompt. Um, we're gonna start with Dr. Townsend. I'm gonna have each of you answer this uh, question and then we're gonna open it up for conversation. If there's not a lot of conversation, we'll just move right into the first topic. Originally today, we had had a brilliant sociologist that we had lined up. He was gonna be our spark plug at the center of this room right now. We have settled for Eric and we're okay with that um, in Dr. Williams. And uh, what he was gonna do is give us a thousand foot view of what it is we're talking about today. So because we can't do that, we're gonna start with that from you guys. Each of you is in a very important silo relating to this conversation. From your thousand foot view, what is equality and how does your work impact it? And, and of course, we're talking about economic equality today. Uh, Dr. Townsend. Okay, thank you for that. And, and first, I'd like to say I'm so happy we're having a conversation because that's the only way we'll be able to move forward. I think what we want to do, though, is really look at the difference between equality and equity. And I think where we're trying to move is equity. And, and how is equity different from equality, right? And so equality means that you're trying to provide the same for everybody. And while that sounds fair, it really does not address the specific needs that folks have. All of us have different needs. And so if we're being equitable, we're making sure that we're providing resources, providing structure, providing support that speaks to the specific need of each individual. And that's an important difference because I think what we can do is we can provide equal across and feel like we're being fair where we're actually only exacerbating disparities. And so we're, what we're having today is a conversation about what would that look like if we were to actually move towards equity as far as economy and, and um, in my space in education, I think for many, many, many years, education has been seen as a perfect avenue 
for upward mobility, right? Many marginalized communities feel like if they can just get an education, they will be able to achieve the American dream. And so my goal is to ensure that when folks walk through the door, they feel like they belong there. And for quite some time, that hasn't been the case in higher education. And I wanna talk about, you know, what, what do we need to do in order for everyone to not only feel like they belong, but that they receive the appropriate supports they need in order to actually be successful. And so we're gonna kind of talk about some of those um, programs, but I'm gonna challenge us to kind of think beyond that. Because what I like to say is when we're talking about accommodations at the university, when we're talking about providing supports, oh, okay. Um, it, what we're saying implicitly is that we have to do something to make you as good as, or to make you deserving. What I'd like to say is we have to change and revamp how we look at education, how we're inviting students into this space with the notion that one size does not fit all. And it is not about us fixing you so you can fit into our space. It's about changing the space so that it fits for everyone. And once we're able to do that well, then we're able to ensure that everyone is successful. They get the training that they need, and then they're able to actually move to the next step of economic equity. Thank you so much, Dr. Townsend. Um, Eric? So uh, I think one of the things that, that I see uh, you know, through the work that we've done is this realization that everybody has different barriers. And I think that what we try so hard to do is to ultimately, as a society, we try to say this is the formula for how everyone can have a, the opportunity that they need. But I think that we have a tremendous amount of ignorance as far as what individual barriers um, anyone will face as they try to pursue those opportunities. One example is, you know, there's a lot of conversation in America about universal basic income. And so we actually launched a program that were cent was centered around testing um, some aspects of UBI where we provided um, room and board for people as they were trying to start a business. But what we came to realize is that still did absolutely nothing for a single mother, right? Because we weren't taking care of their childcare issues. Um, it still didn't address the fundamental um, you know, barriers that they faced related to their credit score or their access to capital for a business. And so there's still, there's a tremendous amount of different barriers that everybody faces. And I don't think that we do enough work as a society to understand what those barriers may be. And, and Mayor Davis. Wow, I couldn't have uh, asked for a better opening from Dr. Townsend. I mean, it's like she just stole my playbook. Uh, because the reality of it is, as we, Again, uh, whether we're public policy practitioners, uh, elected officials, private sector, academia, uh, we're, we're struck with the same challenges, and that's confronting this broader notion of if we give everyone the same, you should be okay, just go away because I've given you the same. And the reality of it is the broader context of our conversations and the larger struggle are predicated on equity and inclusion as opposed to equality. Uh, at the core of all of that is this notion of racism. Uh, and we typically don't wanna talk about that, but you've gotta talk about the institutional nature and the structural nature of that 
that really has to be addressed at base levels if we're going to be at a place of bringing equitable opportunities and solutions to bear on whether it's education, whether it's the justice system, or more importantly, the economy. Uh, I'm reminded in scripture where the word of the Lord says that if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. But if I don't have equal uh, or equitable opportunities to work and then make a living, uh, whether that's an entrepreneur uh, of African-American or brown persuasion, and I don't have access to VC, venture capital, uh, but other communities do, I'm still struck with those same barriers as Ed, Eric indicated. And so I think part of our conversation has to deal with the issue of uh, dismantling and addressing the institutional and structural racism at its base levels. Uh, but in order to do that, we've got to engage not only the government, but the private sector as well, um, because this has accumulated over time. And so as we're leaning into this conversation, uh, I, I think the preamble that Dr. Townsend gave us will help us shed greater light on things that we can begin working towards here in the city of Augusta. As I've said from day one in 2015, my vision for the city is one Augusta, a city of opportunity for everyone where people want to live, to learn, to work and to raise their families. But in order to truly achieve that, there are things that you have to tackle, you have to fight against and then create those pathways that provide that equitable opportunity for people to engage from an economic standpoint, from an educational standpoint, and also from a justice standpoint. And uh, so, Eric, I believe you were going to follow up with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, and I'm, I don't mean as the white male that's on the panel to sort of take on the, the burden of, uh, of a long, long history here, but I think it's really important um, and, and this is a, a situation that I have to deal with, honestly, because of where I sit in these conversations, of helping, um, helping white men around the country understand that when we approach conversations about equity, this has absolutely nothing to do with taking away anything from white people and the opportunities that they have. And, and in fact, Really what it comes down to is the only way we all can realize our potential is if we begin to realize that some people have their potential limited. And if we are, if we're willing bystanders, bystanders to that limitation of potential, then we are in fact limiting ourselves. And I think that's the, the really important thing that everybody needs to look at when they approach this conversation. Dr. Townsend, you had a comment? Yes, I think that is such an important point to make you know, I often say that my role as a, a diversity and inclusion officer is not to replace people at tables, right? It really is to make the table, table bigger so that we have more space for folks and voices that have traditionally been unheard. And so I think that's really important because when you're focusing efforts on particular folks, particular groups, the, the idea is that, oh, then I don't matter. No, no, you're already at the table. <laughs> it's not that you don't matter, you're already at the table. We appreciate you. You, you, your voice is heard. We're just trying to create space for others to sit at that table as well. I think that's such an important point to make and we have to feel comfortable with having that conversation. And so I think that I'm hoping that that's what we can do today. You know, the picture we have is that, you know, we've got three panelists and uh, the panelists 
uh, I happen to be all, we're all sitting or standing in front of a fence that's seven feet tall. Uh, I happen to be six feet. Eric happens to be five feet ten. And Dr. Townsend just happens to be five feet three. And, 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 and you know, the reality of it is we want to see what's happening on the field, uh, but I'm more likely to be able to do it because I'm six feet tall. So if we're going to have an equitable uh, conversation, then that means that in order for us to see over the seven foot fence, me at six feet, then I only need a box that's effectively one and a half feet. Eric needs a box that's two feet. Uh, Dr. Townsend needs a box that's two and a half feet for us to be able to stand on and see the same thing, have the same level of access. And so that right there says that I've provided an equitable solution that gives us equal opportunity to be at the table. Uh, I never get to that place if, you know, I'm the six foot guy and I get the one and a half foot box that allows me to see even more than they can see. All too often, that's the world we live in. That's the realization of where we are because everyone says, well, just give everybody a one and a half foot box. Well, that's equal, but I still have access to something that they will never have access to. We've got to be able to lean in and have those conversations in this way. Is it, is it fair to say, like, to me, when we have a conversation about equality, it's more honestly a conversation about did we check this box as opposed to the conversation about equity is did we actually understand the problem and try to address it? That's it. I mean, if, if, we're, if we're speaking to equity, we are focused on the problem. We're focused on the individual need and tailoring our solution to the need and to the problem. So that's, that's absolutely right. Thank you. All right, so now we're going to move into our first topic, and Chris is going to prompt uh, you, Dr. Townsend, with the first question. Dr. Townsend, we understand that your specialty is in diversity and inclusion in relation to many factors, but especially including development and classical workforce training. From that lens, can you talk a little bit more about community and some programs that exist here that are succeeding and some that you may have experienced in that in the past that weren't so successful. What separates those in your mind as well? Okay, thank you for that question. And I just want to thank Mayor Hardy really quickly for giving me an inch because I'm actually five two, but I appreciate that. <laughs> but um, I'd like to say first, um, that's a really thoughtful question. And there's several programs that, that we can kind of speak to that we have at Augusta University that we have across the country. One of the key things that I've noticed in my work is mentorship, right? That is so key. And when we're talking about developing these programs for workforce development, mentorship is usually at the crux. And so what we see in the programs, and I'll, I'll name a few, but just kind of laying out what the model is, what we see in the programs that are successful is an attempt to expose students to information that they may not have received in their, in their education, and providing them with clear guidance and mentorship. And that's so important for marginalized groups because often when they go into spaces of higher education, because usually, as I said, higher education is a gateway to upward mobility and economic kind of um, um, 
uh, equity. And so, so we first want to provide spaces where students can feel successful in high, and get a degree in higher education. And so what often happens is we have students who may be the first to ever go to school. So they have to figure out and understand how to navigate the culture of higher education. Whereas there are some folks who have generations of family that have gone to college. They've been mentored and groomed to, to succeed in higher education since they were little things. And so they always know they have family members that they can look to, that can help them navigate certain challenges when they're transitioning. And many marginalized groups don't have that. And when they walk onto campus, they're walking on without first that grooming. And then if they don't see folks that they can connect to or that they can resonate with, it really becomes more difficult. So a lot of these training programs, one, try to provide some of that information, some of that grooming, some of that um, um, uh, training to help them understand how you navigate, what are, what are ways that you can move through the process how do you start to think about your career? How do you start to think just strategically about steps that you need to take in career development? And then we wanna make sure that you have peers that you can ask questions that can help mentor you. You can have faculty members that you can develop a really good relationship with and that you have a good foundation for how you can move forward in education. For many, like I said, this is something that happens naturally. They may have it in their family, but then when they go into the college setting, they have other folks who are there, who they can resonate with, and it happens naturally. For some communities, that doesn't happen. That's communities of color, first generation, um, students from low-income backgrounds, um, students with different abilities. It doesn't happen because they don't often see folks that have had the same lived experience. And so these programs are designed to provide that mentor, to provide that role model. So they not only have someone that they can bounce these questions off of, they also have someone that looks like them or who ha has had a similar lived experience that they can see as a model that this can happen. If you can see it, if you can conceive it, you can, you, can, you can be it, right? And so they need to have someone that they can see has done it before and knows how to do it. And so Augusta University has many of these programs. Um, we have uh, the Jumpstart program for some of those students who are just getting, they haven't quite made it to being accepted and they need a little bit more grooming and they're able to kind of get in. One of the exciting programs that we've had for many years is the SEAT program. Um, that's the Student Education Enrichment Program. It really is about reaching even further back into high school, trying to start that pipeline early, trying to get folks excited about medical education um, and, and college and medical school when they're still in high school, because that's important. And so the SEAT program is a summer enrichment program where they get to come they get to, to be on campus. Um, Ms. Linda, Linda James has been the head of the SEAT program for many, many years. She connects them to medical students. She connects them to medical faculty. 
And many of those students go into college with the idea that they can be doctors and they move forward. So it's important that we provide those examples. Um, those are the programs that tend to be most successful, are the ones that provide those examples and provide that relationship. It's not just about the information, it's about how you develop the relationship with people in that space. But I also wanna challenge us to think a little bit differently about education, because I kind of see education as a house that was built for, I know you guys have heard about the house of diversity, right? And I know you've heard that fable about the, the elephant and the giraffe, and, and the idea is that the house was built for the giraffe. It was built for um, an animal that had a particular characteristic. Ed higher education was the exact same way. It was built for particular types of students. And what we're doing now is requiring folks to fit into that mold. And we're saying, if you don't fit into this, what we'll do is we'll give you these programs to help you to fit in, to help you to learn this culture, to help you. And while that is good, it helps folks to be successful in that space. What I'm challenging us to do is to say, maybe we need to rethink this house. Change the space change the space instead of trying to change the students. How are we inviting students into our space? If I'm inviting you and saying, hey, 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 but before you come in, wipe your feet, and before you come in, you gotta change your clothes, and before you come, how welcome do you feel? What I'm challenging us to do is to start thinking about higher education in a different way. How can we change higher education so regardless of who you are, when you walk in the door, you feel like you belong? Regardless of who you are, you feel like you can be successful there because you see other folks that are like you, have had similar experience, representation is important. But the other piece is that we're thinking about how we're developing our curriculum so that it doesn't matter about your characteristics. It doesn't matter how you process information. There are ways in which we're providing that information that you can get it. And so I think it's really important for us to rethink this because this sets the foundation in our country for a lot of other upward mobility. And we, when we don't get this right, we have a lot of students who feel like this is not for me. They become disengaged and they don't feel like they have something in the community that they can move towards. So I think it's so huge. Um, I just submitted a grant to NIDDK to develop a program for behavioral health researchers trying to train behavioral health researchers to look at health disparity issues. Because if we don't get other folks into the pipeline, then we can't have the innovative kind of solutions that we need to some of our societal problems. We can't look at health disparity if we don't have people who understand the barriers to health. So, to me, it's so important. I think it's, it's dual, though. So we have to have these support programs like the SEAT program, like the SPARK program that I hope will get funded, fingers crossed. But we also have to start encouraging our institutions to think differently about education. Um, and so that's the kind of conversation I'd like to have now. I like to put that out there, right? Then it's like, OK, so what does that look like? OK, well, we have to think about that, right? That's the, that's the conversation that we need to have. Thank you. Oh, there we go. Thank you, Dr. Townsend. Um, uh, Mayor Davis, I do want to throw this to you. Um, she's talked about education specifically. We're talking about young people. 
you have the responsibility of overseeing programs for, for a whole community. Um, you know, do you see, uh, do you see differences in, in what she's saying versus, uh, what you see, uh, that mentorship approach that she mentioned that was so important. Is that something that you guys see as well? Well, I think, you know, and again, fantastic, uh, statements that Dr. Townsend made. Uh, one of my life isms is that a man or a woman cannot be what he or she cannot see. That goes back to the very heart of access, you know, as a, uh, first generation college graduate in my family. Uh, my parents were high school educated. Uh, it wasn't until my mom was well into her uh, 60s that she uh, went back to school and uh, achieved the doctorate degree in ministry. And so uh, I know what it is to uh, have those, you know, confrontational pictures, if you will, in front of you. And so I think, as Dr. Townsend said, uh, the house built uh, can't be the same for everyone because my needs are different. Uh, but I've got to see people who look like me, who are engaging like me uh, in those networks and in those spaces. Uh, you know, there's a difference between uh, the house of Targaryen and, uh, you know, the house of Jon Snow. <laughs> so don't do this. We gotta, <laughs> We got to we got to be able to think about those things. Right. Because we we come from different places and experiences and they have merit in terms of how we shape any program or any opportunity that avails itself to giving us equitable opportunities. We do just want to take one more opportunity while we're here to thank the people that are helping us present this Bank of America um, for being the presenting sponsor and helping us to really continue this series. All right, so now we are going to uh, we're going to look at Eric, and given the conversation we've been having, um, we've talked about job training, we've talked about mentorship, and and really making relationships and and really creating relationships and supporting them on an institutional level in order to help people get job training and to really be able to, uh, like you said, Dr. Townsend, kind of put yourself in the position to, to exceed and, and do what you want. In your experience, Eric, uh, where is Augusta and America's blind spots and weaknesses when we're talking about addressing workforce development and bringing everybody to that equitable position? Wow. Um, first, tough act to follow. Um, so, uh, I want to just there. I made a few notes to myself also um, while you were speaking, and so you know, and a couple of things that maybe just to put a pin in as I'm talking about entrepreneurship. But one I wanted to ask you about and discuss was how do we build trust between communities? Because I think that that's a big piece of this. And then the other was looking at um, everything that you were saying about the, the house and the different opportunities that exist and how we're not necessarily designing for everybody through the lens actually of the COVID pandemic and what the PPE crisis has shown us about how we're training our communities and how we're preparing our communities. Um, and I think that honestly, entrepreneurship fits within this landscape of, of these conversations very well, because I, I think what most people don't realize is the level to which entrepreneurship plays a central role in the economic opportunity of our communities and 
and how our education its system itself has honestly, like to a large degree, been hijacked by industry um, to make sure that we train people to fit into certain molds, to take jobs at companies. And we, we basically think that we can define a path for every person in our society in some way. Whereas entrepreneurship is one of the few paths where we basically say, you're on your own. And I, I think that we probably need to develop a little bit of a bridge between those scenarios because I think that you're on your own is great for the concept of the American spirit. We all believe in life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We all want our freedom. We all want to pursue these things, but we don't have necessarily a support mechanism around that. And so one of the things that I really want to focus in on is entrepreneurship and workforce development as a combined entity. Um, one of the things that I look at, because we deal heavily in work that's related to the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act. So that's a piece of legislation that drives over $10 billion of federal investment every year to support our communities. And if you look at workforce development through the traditional lens, for every 50 people you graduate, uh, basically you have to have an 80% job placement rate. So for every 50 people you would graduate from a program, you would create 40 jobs. And really you're not creating jobs, you're just filling jobs that already exist. With entrepreneurship, for every 50 businesses in the state of Georgia that start, 80% of those businesses will survive in the first year. So that's already your 40 jobs. Of those, every single one is going to create, on average, five jobs. So really for investing the same amount of money in training people, we can get to 200 jobs instead of 40 jobs if we began to think about how entrepreneurship can fit into that lens. And there's a, the, there's a core struggle around that in that our entire workforce system is driven by outcome measures that have been created by industry to support itself, and there's no way that we can have entrepreneurial skills training meet the same compliance requirements that traditional industry does. So I'll stop there because I could go on forever. <laughs> so I do want to uh, prompt uh, Dr. Townsend. Um, what, based on what Eric was saying, what lessons can traditional workforce development learn from what he just stated? Yeah, I think Eric's point is well taken that there's kind of a way in which we don't train for entrepreneurship, right? Like that's not of necessarily in the educational system, has not always been kind of a viable career opportunity. And folks who, who kind of saw themselves as entrepreneurs said, well, why do I, I mean, why do I need, why do I need to stay in college? I can do this without a college degree. And you see some of the major money makers in our country, Bill Gates, um, you know, Facebook, Zuckerberg, who ended up not staying to get their degree because they felt like it was easier for them to start their businesses outside. But there's an issue with that for marginalized communities because they don't have the same access to opportunity. And so they need to have that education often in order for, for them to, to be viable in certain spaces. And so I think we have to kind of think about that because what happens when you have a very creative, so I think your point is well taken though, that we don't want to create these kind of cookie cutter type ideas about what your career trajectory has to be and we're stifling creativity. And so there, I, I do agree that there's a way in which we have to think about how we can allow folks to, 
to run and be free and to think about ways that they can use their education to prepare them for entrepreneurships in a, in a, a very meaningful way. But, but I get concerned because the person who, um, from a marginalized group, whether it's a, a person of color, whether it's someone from low income backgrounds, if they drop out of college, they do not have the same opportunity, even if they're going into entrepreneurship, it's a much harder road to hoe for them in order for them to, to, um, to make, to be successful. There's so many black businesses that go out of business every year. And, and it's not because they're not talented. It's not because they don't have a good business model. It's because they're not given the same opportunity and folks are not um, frequenting their businesses in the same way. And so we have to kind of figure out how we can do that, where we can train folks to be creative and go into this entrepreneurial space but get a degree because it's so important um, for, for certain communities and their, uh, their ability to, to, to progress. Let me add uh, a couple of things to that. You know, we talk about equity versus equality. Uh, there's not a one size fits all approach that we can take to these larger and structural issues. At the same time, uh, I think we would all, uh, in some sense of unanimity, say we want the same thing. Everybody wants safe neighborhoods. Everybody wants safe streets. Everybody wants good schools. Everybody wants that. Uh, but the challenge is, how do we arrive at that same place? You know, uh, Eric may have driven a Ford uh, to arrive at this place. I may have driven a Chevy. Uh, Dr. Townsend may have driven uh, an Acura. We arrived at the same place, uh, but we drove different vehicles. Life is about having access to the appropriate vehicles that I otherwise would not have had access to that give me that pathway, that gateway into what we perceive as success. When we talk about the economy, uh, if I go buy a house, I want to know that I can live in the same safe neighborhood that uh, my counterparts live in. But in order for me to do that, I've got to have the same level of access, equitable access to financing if I'm not paying for the house by cash. And so those are the broader challenges. Uh, education plays a role in that uh, to understand how the financial system works, but also to understand uh, what credit is. What does that mean? Uh, but if I've grown up in a home where nobody ever borrowed any money or nobody or at least not from an institution, maybe from my cousins or my neighbors, but from an institution of a lending. So I've got to understand that that's why education is so vitally important. But then we've got to face the reality of everybody doesn't have to have the four year degree. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have gone from the greatest school on the planet, Georgia Tech. Um, and so, so, but everybody doesn't need to go to Georgia Tech, nor does everyone want to go to Georgia Tech, right? We have amazing schools. We've got Augusta University, yes. But the challenge is, what if I only need a technical degree, a two-year degree that provides me with similar opportunities that as I work my way through the process, that I've got equitable opportunities to live the life that everyone else is able to live, but in my own context. And I think that as we're having those conversations, but doing it in a constructive way. Uh, so often what we do is we talk about and we throw words out, equality, racism, and everyone becomes afraid. There's that level of fear about talking about 
Well, I'm not trying to take anything away from you. I'm simply saying I want access to the same thing you have, but I may need a little bit more of what you have in order to stand at the same place that you do. That's how we begin eliminating the barriers. That's how we begin leaning into the broader contextual issues that we're facing uh, that bring us to a place of a nation of opportunity for everyone that so long has not been that way. Eric, uh, you, you had your hand up. Yeah, I, um, I, I think that it's impossible to have the conversation about entrepreneurship without talking, having the, the conversation about access to capital because that's really the, the key um, thing that exists within here. And there's, there's a few points that I, I would touch on. And, and one is, is really looking at, I think that a lot of people who are in a position of privilege in our society who have a great amount of wealth need to start asking themselves, instead of how do I maximize my profit on something, is this enough profit that I can make from something? Because I, I think that there's an enormous opportunity to invest and, and, and make money in certain um, new businesses that come up in our community. Will it be the same potential margin? Maybe not, um, but it's still going to be profit. And I, I think that w if we can start to take a look at how we can begin to mitigate the risk for some of those things. And that's where we, so we recently received a grant from Georgia Tech's Partnership for Inclusive Innovation, um, and also a graduate of Georgia Tech, so go Jackets. Um, but, uh, you know, with that, we are actually implementing a statewide workforce development program for entrepreneurship training. And through that, what we've, by, by finally getting um, some measure of institutional support for this type of work, we're able to start having conversations with several bank presidents in this area and have conversations about their community lending requirements and how we can tie those community lending requirements into the workforce development system and create better access to capital for entrepreneurs. Because if you look at the capital framework and, and how the government supports that right now, the SBA is a long-standing program, but if you, if you just take it at the surface, SBA stands for Small Business Administration, and small business and entrepreneurship are two different things. Entrepreneurs become small businesses, and they might become Facebook. You never know which one. Um, but the Small Business Administration is generally geared towards supporting businesses that have been in existence for a couple of years and for entrepreneurs that have a degree of assets. And when we're talking about, you know, Entrepreneurs that come from disadvantaged backgrounds, they don't have those assets to leverage. They don't have the credit scores to work with. And so how do we create essentially maybe lending backstops to support community lending programs so that we can get the first $25,000 of capital into an entrepreneur? I, I think that is so important and there's no one way to get to that outcome. And I think that's what you're saying. And I think you're saying we need to really have those that have more to be able to kind of think about how to invest that back into communities to, to help um, ensure success for more, for more in our community, which I think is really important. And I wanted to just kind of talk about the point about um, this notion that it doesn't have to be a four-year degree. And I agree with that. And, and we're actually partnering with Augusta Chamber of Commerce to provide internships for those high school students that student to work program we are partnering with in, our, in, in my office to provide those internships for students who are saying, look, I, I don't necessarily wanna go to college, but I wanna have a career option and I want them to see 
Augusta University as that opportunity. Um, and so this would provide them with that internship where they can come and they can work in a particular department. They can decide if they want to take courses because now if they are able, successful in that internship, they may get offered a job where they would have those benefits and that opportunity to get education along the way if they choose that route. But I think the, the point of how we look at the opportunities that folks are given, um, because two-year degrees now, unfortunately, um, because of the way our e economic system has been um, structured, we don't necessarily have the same access to the capital that you're talking about. And so, so how do we ensure, I mean, there used to be a time where you could get a factory job, you could get, um, a, get, get training in a particular field, um, you could get a, a tech type job that didn't require a, a four year degree, and you could have a very successful career. You could work, you could do that, you could have capital, you could send your kids to school. That's not the case anymore because, um, because salaries have kind of been stagnant. And so how do we get those folks who decide, you know, I do want to just kind of work and maybe do my job on the side, but I don't have the credit score, I don't have the access to the capital, and my salary is not such that I can do that with the job that I have. And so it really does put folks into a bind as far as how they're able to actually be successful. You know, if I can, uh, Chris, David, throw one more thing out here. Uh, we've, we are dealing with a global pandemic called COVID-19. And what COVID has done for us has caused us to really rethink uh, the way we do business in general, in every arena of life. Uh, it's, it's, it has perhaps been the most disruptive time in our nation's history and economy for those of us uh, who were not uh, back in, uh, you know, 1918, right? And so from the Industrial Revolution to the Technology Revolution, we now have the COVID Revolution, which has accelerated the thing that we've been spending time on, and that is the future of work. It accelerated it to where we're now educating people remotely, which we were doing already, but now it is, quote, a new norm. Uh, instead of the bricks and mortar institutions, uh, you have Twitter who says, I wasn't going to let you go work at home, but now go work at home. Facebook who says, we're not going to let you work remotely. Everybody go work remotely. And we're finding out that people are equally productive, if not more. Uh, but herein lies one of the greater challenges of where education plays a vital role in that. When we look at the barriers that we're facing because of COVID, what it did is it revealed not just the fissures, but the great divides of opportunity and access uh, and the challenges of inequality versus inequity. Uh, all of those things have come to bear now of where technology in particular has played an outsized role in terms of how we move communities forward. Earlier, Eric talked about UBI, universal basic income. Uh, we then talk about the education component of it, of where you've got programs that are predicated around trying to strategically harness workforce development, putting people in pathways. But I think right now, while we don't have time to stop by the side of the road and try to figure it out, we've got to be fluid and do these things in motion of how do we begin to harness, again, 
around what Dr. Townsend said a moment ago, where Eric's saying, and do that in a way that provides people unique opportunities that are equitable in nature, that allow us uh, to have those higher wage earning opportunities where there has been wage stagnation. I think the technology arena, as we see what COVID has done, we're even handling people's issues medically more so now through telemedicine and remotely than we've ever done before. And so I think that is the new economy that we have to face, uh, where you look at many of the service related jobs, the conversation around individuals who are essential versus non-essential. I, I would beg to differ that everyone who works at a grocery store, everyone who works at a fast food restaurant, they clearly have been deemed essential because what would we do if they were not in place? So that's where we've got to see a shifting in an economy, even here in Augusta, where you talk about, well, what's the minimum wage? Well, let's go from minimum wage to what is that living wage where people truly have an opportunity to take care of their families and do it in a constructive and a tangible way that is meaningful, that is rewarding. So often we talk about these things uh, and we talk about it from a less than perspective of where, you know, as educated individuals, we have access that others oftentimes don't. But we've got to elevate the conversations to a place that that bring not only equity in the conversation, but bring dignity and honor to how we view others uh, and then provide them with similar pathways. All right. So because of time, um, I'm going to prompt Eric with one question to close this conversation out. And, and the reason we're staying with this question is because I think this is really important. And I think this is going to kind of bring home a lot of things that have been said. Um, Eric, we've been talking about what the job market, what universities, what society looks like right now. Um, and a big topic for you personally is innovation. You've testified before Congress about innovation. You've hacked Augusta. Uh, to try to think of ways to create innovation. And so what role does innovation play in this conversation today? Uh, and, and what is this innovation you're talking about? And, and I'm going to challenge you to keep this to about two minutes so that we can, we can move to the next topic. I'll, I'll try to be even more brief than that, which is how do you achieve scale? Scale of impact? scale of market reach, scale of the, the number of people that, that you can touch, that you can communicate and who you can sell your product to. Technology has always existed in every form to allow us to do more than we're humanly capable of by ourselves with our own hands. Um, the computers that we have today, the internet, robots, everything, all it does is increase the number of people that we can touch. And if we don't have a stronger grasp of how to leverage automated systems and modern technology, then we're going to be left in the dust. Thank you. We are now going to move on to the next topic and we're gonna throw it over to Mayor Davis. Um, we pose to you in your role as a politician. Um, a politician's job is to energize supporters, to support causes and to conquer barriers. What can anyone watching or listening to this do right now to make a difference? Well, there's a lot of things that people can do to make a difference. I think it really uh, matters what people care about, 
It matters what people are interested in putting their hands, their time, their talent, and their efforts towards. You know, uh, when I look at uh, equity in our community, uh, one of the things that my team is working on is uh, this non-discrimination ordinance, making sure that people across all walks of life, to include our LGBTQ community, uh, have uh, an opportunity for their voices to be heard. Uh, and so my teams have been working on that since last year, uh, introduced it earlier this year in January, uh, because so often you've got communities uh, across all walks of life, social and economic statuses, uh, that don't be, believe that their voices can be heard. And so uh, we've taken that approach from a public policy standpoint, uh, wanting to see that move through the process and ultimately be adopted and established as local law. Uh, because of the challenges, uh, people from different religious backgrounds, uh, people of color, uh, the Crown Act has been adopted in several cities in Georgia, uh, and our non-discrimination ordinance includes elements of that, uh, where you'd likely not think it to be the case, uh, but because of how someone wears their hair and their opportunities are limited. And so, uh, I think that people can engage at that level, but it's really about the things that individuals or organizations and or groups are passionate about as it relates to their city. Uh, we've got Operation Clean City. Uh, you've got a group of people who say, I wanna make sure that my city is clean. So I think that that's a unique opportunity for people once again, we're talking and focused today around uh, equity and, and what that means in terms of the economy, what that means in terms of people having uh, equitable access uh, to capital to not only start a business, but to maintain that business. Uh, so often in life, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Uh, we're very good at being starters, uh, but sometimes that ability to finish strong uh, is elusive because I don't have equity. And so, uh, I would encourage Augustans from all walks of life uh, to one, lift your voices and let them be heard about the things that matter to you. Um, don't, don't resign yourself to, well, only the elected officials, only the quote key influencers and the people that are quote important have a way, a mechanism to be able to deal with the broader issues that affect our city. Uh, we are always looking for uh, individuals and groups to reach out to us in the mayor's office. Uh, that's why we've created a pathway through the website for people to reach out to us directly. Um, and of course, people through social media are always sending things our way. But that's what I would share uh, as we're having this broader discussion. Again, I am just enthralled that we're talking about something that really matters in our city, in our state, and in our nation and it couldn't come at a better time. And I'm hoping that this is a catalyst to much broader discussions uh, as we move forward. Any comments on that? Yes, go I ahead, just, Dr. Thompson. I um, wanted to follow up to Mayor Davis's point about the importance of our communities coming together and actually feeling empowered to do things in their community to make a difference. I think what we're seeing now post well, not even post-COVID, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of some of the racial inequities that we've seen, is folks are starting to get anxious. They're starting to get stressed. 
They're, they're feeling like things are out of control. And speaking as a psychologist, I can say that one thing that really does help with that is feeling empowered to, to do something in the community. That's healing. So it's not, only, it's not only helpful for the folks that you're picking up and helping and, and working in the community, it's, it's self-healing. To know that you're a part of something bigger, to know that you are making a difference in your community, making a difference for the next generation, that is healing. And at this time when folks are feeling so out of control, that's so important. So I, I just wanted to support Mayor Davis's point about ensuring that everyone feels like they have the ability to make a difference in their community and to, to pick up and do something in their community. I think that's helpful. I, I just was really trying to think of it in terms of sort of two questions. Um, I think one is an important question for all of us to ask ourselves and um, especially those of us that are in leadership positions. And I, I think that is we want people to, to try to pursue all these different things and we want to remove barriers. What should the cost of failure be? Because I think right now those, the cost of failure is incredibly high in our society. I mean, there's very little safety net for anybody related to just about anything they do. I mean, even, even myself, you know, I'm on the you know, Affordable Care Act exchange to get health insurance despite you know, having all this. and all the employees that we have at the clubhouse, it's sort of the same situation. Um, and then the other question is, I think, um, how can, I, I think reframing the question that we always ask our kids. So instead of always asking them, uh, what do you wanna be when you grow up? I think we should start asking them, what impact do you wanna make in your life? Because I think that does a much better job of helping them find the core motivation to pursue whichever educational path makes the right sense for them. So before we, we are um, going to ask a closing question. Before we do that, I want to thank all of you guys for the collegiality that has been displayed by you guys, the respect that you've displayed for each other, the conversation that we've had. And, and genuinely, I do hope that not only does this have an impact, but maybe we get to do this again. And I think doing things like this is one of those things that'll get us where we need to go. Um, I'm gonna ask a closing question. We're gonna start with um, you, Dr. Townsend. We've had a long conversation today about issues in equality and of course, equity. We've talked about failings and blind spots. We've also talked about great ideas. We've talked about the box and, and how the box that we stand on needs to be different for everybody. What are or is some takeaways that you have from today that give you hope going forward, both for Augusta and then nationally as well? Well, one thing that gives me hope is that you are bringing us together to have this conversation, to see the next generation excited and fired up about these questions and really wanting to tackle tough conversations and with hopes that it will move us forward. That's exciting. So I thank you for that. Um, and I also wanted to say uh, j just this idea of reimagining how we are training our students, training our, our young people, reimagining our um, institutions, be it higher education. I think that's the message that I would take from this. I think Eric's last question 
about posing to your children and to our kids and the next generation, not who do you want to be or what do you want to be, but what impact do you want to make? I think that's so huge. And when you said it, it was like I had an aha moment because I have young kids and I do often say, okay, well, what are you going to do? Who are you going to be? But, but this idea of trying to teach our young people that, it, that they are a part of something bigger, that, that's the point, that, that we're in this together. If we started to see each other as being um, a part of a community and not, I just have to take care of mine and my own, um, but I have to take care of our community because as a community, we, if, if one is successful, we're all successful. If we start to have that mentality and teach that among our young people, then we'll see a generation that's very interested in making sure that they're making a difference for others in their community. And I think that's huge. So I like that. I thank you for that. Dr. Tiffany Townsend, thank you so much for being here today. Chief Diversity Officer. To learn more about you, people should go to augusta.edu slash diversity. That's right. Thank you so much. All right, Eric, we're going to pose that same question to you. Would you like it repeated? Please. Uh, we've had a long conversation today about issues, failings, and blind spots, but of course also about solutions and good ideas. What are some takeaways today that, that give you hope uh, going forward? I... I think really it's, um, it's encouraging for anybody who's working in the space and trying to make a difference to understand that they're not alone in, in the work. I, I think it's really easy. You, you introduced us all by saying we operate in, a, in our own silos related to it, and the, those silos are, are really true no matter how much we each probably talk about um, the need to collaborate and, and being open to it. Uh, and so for me, the, the thing that's encouraging is um, knowing not just, you know, I mean, obviously we're excited about the programs that we have at the clubhouse and how we're expanding, you know, our ability to impact the community, but then seeing how other organizations in the community are, are also proceeding and, and quite frankly, just um, knowing that I have a new person to follow up with after this and see how can we help each other grow what we're trying to do. Eric Parker, director of the clubhouse. Uh, creator of Hack Augusta and many other great ideas. To learn more about Eric, there are many websites you can go to, but we're going to refer you to theclubhow.se. Type out the clubhouse, put the period before the SE. Thank you so much, Eric, for being here today. And finally, Mr. Davis, uh, Mayor Davis, would you like us to prompt again? I'm fine. I figured you might be. Take Thank it away. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm optimistic, not only with today's conversation, but I'm optimistic with the shift that we've seen taking place in America. Uh, the historic disruption that all of us experienced uh, in our life and in our work in America in 2020 uh, has cast a very broad spotlight uh, on the depth and more importantly, the breadth of the challenges of systemic racism across all spectrums of life, uh, not just the economy, uh, but our justice system, our healthcare system, education uh, and the challenges associated with that. And I think it's awakened a real conviction in the American people, uh, both public sector and private sector, uh, that for the good of not only our society, but the people that make up our society, we've got to dismantle those things. And having conversations like the one we're having today will allow us to not only take steps forward, uh, but to again, uh, collaborate 
and work creatively together uh, to begin putting tangible solutions in place uh, that uh, allow us to seize the moment. Uh, I think this is a conversation that uh, as we come to the close of it today, uh, or should I say just to stop by the side of the road to catch our breath for future conversations, uh, that we engage the broader community uh, in a way that allows other voices to be heard. Uh, and then perhaps we come together with a blueprint of how we truly achieve that one Augusta, of how we begin shaping uh, the, the broader network of pathways for people from all walks of life to experience that. Mayor Hardy Davis, Mayor of Augusta since 2015. Uh, you can find more about him pretty much anywhere. Um, Facebook and Instagram, Hardy Davis, Jr. Twitter at Hardy Davis. Uh, check him out at Augusta.gov. I heard he's featured on that website. Um, the form that you had discussed where people can contact you, how do people get to that form? Uh, go to AugustaGA.gov and click on government and you'll see uh, a, a space there for Mayor Hardy Davis. Or better yet, people can simply call 706-821-1831 and uh, that's the mayor's office. Bold move. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you to our sponsor, Bank of America. Thank you to uh, Haverdusry and Fatmans for providing the, the food for today. Thank you to Nancy Powell for sponsoring Drop the Disc. Thank you to the Clubhouse for allowing us to be here after hours. Thank you to all of you guys for donating your time. Um, we wish all of you a great weekend. And, and with that, uh, I'm David. And I'm Chris. This is the Drop the Disc podcast. We're going to close out. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this podcast version of this live panel. Uh, these conversations were recorded live. Uh, nothing was doctored. Nothing was uh, rehearsed or written down in advance. There were no scripts. We'd really like to thank all the people that were here for having these genuine conversations. And once again, if you enjoyed this, please make sure you like, rate, or review the show. Uh, we will have a regular episode coming out this Sunday as well. And we just thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear ideas to continue this program. Please send them to us, dropthedispod uh, at gmail.com, or just find us, Drop the Disc Podcast, on social media.